0: If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported
1: thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate.
0: Thanks so much and enjoy today's show.
1: Welcome to Art Dirt, the Glass Tire podcast where we talk about topical art topics. I'm William Saradet.
0: And I'm J.R. Roykovich.
1: And today we're in Galveston. I'm visiting exhibitions uh, across the area, including Justin's show, Travel in Light Years, on view at the Galveston Artist Residency Gallery through November 5th. And today I thought we would have a conversation about paranormal art and the intersection between paranormal or supernatural concepts and how they are activated through artworks and art making. So Justin, you're an educator and exhibiting artist. You work conceptually as well as in lens-based work. Are you engaged with both the Houston and Bay Area, like this kind of whole region, is that correct?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, I. I... Came to Texas um, to be in the um, Galveston area, and then I stayed, moved closer, closer to Houston. But um, but I, I've I've been engaged probably in the in the in between state, which is appropriate for me and my work. So
1: and today we're joined by Justin's dog Smithers. Mm-hmm. So if you get any little uh, any sounds rustling around or sniffling noises, just be aware that we have a cute little dog recording with us today.
0: He is. He is very, very cute. He's actually, he's a Galveston street dog that I rescued while uh, I was here as a resident back in 2018. So he's a, he's a, he's a native Islander.
1: Um, And so that's a good point that you were a resident with Galveston artist residency. You just mentioned in 2018. And so you're back uh, exhibiting. And the show at the gallery at G.A.R., as locals affectionately call it, Mm -hmm. um, is it features a large installation that has found artifacts from the lot next door to the G.A.R. building. Mm -hmm. There's photography in some of your work that focuses on ghost hunting. There's also samples from what I believe is your Blue Book project where you're taking Mm -hmm declassified FBI documents about, uh, unidentified aerial objects. Um, yeah. So I just thought it would, you're like a perfect subject to talk about the idea of things being kind of haunted or forbidden or secret Mm -hmm. knowledge. Um, would you like to expand on the, on the exhibition, uh, for our listeners that haven't seen it yet?
0: Sure. So this is kind of a culmination of, uh, both four years worth of work from coming from Gar, and then also expanding a, upon that. A lot of the stuff that I use in the show is uh, island um, island specific stuff that I got while I was here, um, and stuff that I felt was appropriate, you know, in a site site specific sense that needed to be shown in Galveston, around Galveston, and I haven't decided if it if it really belongs anywhere else yet. It kind of feels like. Its bones belong to the island, um, and so um, the big the the a lot of the stuff that's in the middle of the show are artifacts that I quasi excavated from this lot that you were talking about uh, when I was at Gar they were building housing literally right next to the residency. Um, and when they started to dig the plots, basically, they unearthed all of this stuff. And so um, I've been telling people like, you know, it's, it's the stuff that you would expect, like pipes and, you know, general like underground type things, um, but also things like horseshoes and old like iron signs um, and things that were obviously not contemporary things that had been underground for who knows how long Um, and so you know one of the things that I like to tell people is that we found this uh, ceramic um, ceramic container that is 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 tooth powder which is what you would use as toothpaste you know before toothpaste was 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 invented basically um but we we googled it just quick and, and and the date on that is like 1896 to like 1904 or something so that that's literally been underground for at least a a hundred years and so I was really interested in this kind of cyclical nature of the island of Galveston and its resilience you know getting destroyed getting rebuilt getting getting destroyed trying to figure out how not to do that <laughs> how to protect themselves how to protect livelihood um and then the kind of artifacts that that remain based off of that endeavor and so that's that's where a lot of the material comes from and i've been carting that around with me for like four years since i have have been at gar but um but i i just couldn't i couldn't get rid of it. And you mentioned before, this kind of like secret knowledge. And I do think that, you know, material has information and knowledge embedded in it that reveals itself slowly to you over time. And it just kind of coincided that this was the right time that I wanted to kind of open up. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's where a bulk of the, of the material uh, comes from. There's this is huge kind of installation right in the middle of of, of the gallery. Um, and I was thinking a lot also about the story of Beza de Vaca um, and the fact that you know he got marooned on on the island. Um, he tried to build a raft and escape, and the raft like just literally wasn't good enough, and he got washed back on shore. And so I've done other work where it's where I look at this kind of explored machismo endeavor that kind of fails Um, and I was really interested in this idea of like you know trying to do something over and over again but not being able to and constantly being pulled back to a location Um, and that's kind of where the the crux of the show stemmed from and then blossomed out from there.
1: Yeah I was there's so many different kind of themes that you're working in in this exhibition that I was Curious to hear your thoughts about what something, what it means for something to be either like a conspiracy or or just something that maybe can't really be falsified, it can't be proven wrong, um, but that doesn't necessarily lend it legitimacy. I just, you had an interesting take on some of the like ghost hunting technologies that people use, um, and it. I just thought it was interesting because it didn't seem like you were necessarily a firm believer. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like you were necessarily drawn to this material because you're always out here looking for ghosts. Mm -hmm. Um, There, there There's like an element of skepticism Mm -hmm. in the way we were talking about um, some of these like paranormal, paranormal interests. And so I just, I thought that was so fascinating. And I was just wondering if you could talk more about like, if or how you're challenging um, the kind of systems in place of like uh, ghost hunting tours, or you know the FBI chronicling the the objects it has seen in the sky mm-hmm. um, that we're like not, we're not supposed to know, to know about, about.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, um, we're not supposed to know about that that's that's a really good way of saying that um, that's really just so obvious now like you know and it's in that those 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 blue those blue book files I think followed that line of thought really well you know they were kept obviously classified for years and years and years. Um, and then they were released. And, you know, p- the people who are really in, at least on the UFO side, the people who are really into this phenomenon, they, they're constantly requesting, you know, uh, Freedom of In of Information Act um, um, documents. And so there's this ongoing conversation about what's revealed, what's, what's, what's concealed. And I'm, I'm literally just like scratching the surface of that. There's, I mean, that's a whole other kind of like massive rabbit hole, but um, I, I, I should say, first off, I am very skeptical Um, and I'm not, but I'm not skeptical in the sense that I want to disprove anything to anyone. Um, I'm more skeptical in, Maybe my own relationship to it, and also in how it may be presented. Um, I mean, I guess I just just for some context here. Like we were talking the the other day, you know, about this this idea of these ghost hunting machines. You know that you don't really know how how they work. They cost a lot of money. So there's an automatically like a like a class element built in um, and access and who has. Uh, who has who is able to actually kind of afford to do this in a way that's been propagated by media and by celebrity. Um, and I'm much more interested in the fact that people are building devices that have no kind of like regulation to them in order to essentially talk to, to nothing, uh, and talk to the air and talk to the environment. Like that seems much more to me, like an artistic and en- endeavor instead of a, um, and it's totally like my, 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 my reading into it, but it seems to me to be a more of an artistic endeavor than necessarily solely a trying to prove the afterlife or, you know, something, something like that. Um, the whole reason that I got into it was because. I live kind of a no no nomadic life and i was really interested i started to get really interested in sight and where and where i was and this is this is way back early when i when i first started my work um but i was thinking about this device which if anybody doesn't know like it's it's this it's called an called an ovalis and it's basically the way it's it's marketed is that it reads electromagnetic fields and then it, it it regurgitates a word based on these readings. And so when I first started using it, I wasn't really necessarily really interested in ghosts. I was interested more in giving the environment possibly a way to speak back. You know, if you could listen to the land, what would it verbally say? Um, And so I'm not really looking for ghosts per se, but I am interested in this kind of in-between notion of what exists beyond our capabilities or beyond our perceptions and my work has evolved over time to really be about how we see what we perceive um, the nature of you know how light helps in all of that which is where my interest in photography comes from Um, and so all of that i think feeds into this idea of the paranormal or the supernatural um, but also into like how we look at art, how we see things, how we interpret things, what things mean to us, what context it brings, um, and, and how that informs our daily relationships to the environments around us.
1: I think that the use of like the, the ghost-hunting black boxes, mm-hmm. these things that are supposed to be a technological device, That maybe somebody allegedly knows how they work, but like it might be hard for the user to know how they work. They're meant to be perceptual machines, I suppose. Mm -hmm. They're meant to tap into something that like we can't. Um, I think that's an interesting realm to operate in because it reminds me of like obviously the sort of Thetan scanners that Mm -hmm. like uh, Scientologists (laughs) use. But the difference that I want to draw here is that like. Paranormal searching, to me, is more, like, intrinsically imbued with curiosity. Whereas sometimes bad actors in religion Mm -hmm. are more often preying on people's, like, desperate, like, desire to belong or fit Mm -hmm. or replace something they've lost, maybe. I'm sure there's people hunting ghosts that, like, are earnestly trying to talk to their grandma or or something or, or other but I feel like the general consensus is that like paranormal interests are really about curiosity of the unknown and they're you can still get duped but it feels different than it feels slightly different than an entire family losing their in their you know, their home and wealth Mm -hmm. to a scam that told them they were going to have a place to Mm -hmm. belong or a place, some, you know, a church that was going to bring them prosperity if Mm -hmm. they only tithed all of their money, you know, those feel like different things. I think they're using sometimes similar devices or similar strategies. Um, So I was so interested that you were engaging with that concept. Mm. Your exhibition to me seems to repeatedly reify this dynamic which is that like humans have an innate interest or desire to like breach into dimensions they can't physically access Mm -hmm. and there are strategies and ways to do that but they seem to rely on the physicality of an object or an administration or Or um money yeah like there's an access point right and and the access point is conveniently very tangible and accessible Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it just makes me think of like infomercials Mm -hmm. which sort of in a very formulaic way every time articulate a problem that maybe you didn't really know that you had and then a super proprietary solution that isn't even necessarily expensive Mm -hmm. it just kind of articulates this kind of uh, like consumeristic space that you wouldn't be aware of if somebody didn't walk up to you and tell you, oh, okay. Hey, you need a, you need a 18 channel potato slicer or whatever, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. a special kind of mop. That's not like any other
0: mop." Right. The commercial of the endeavor, I think has, you know, through the onslaught of ghost hunting shows and whatever else. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I was interested. I got I got interested because I was really interested in the kind of popular culture aspect at, at the time. You know, we talking like 2016 at the height of all these kind of ghost shows. That's only gotten more amplified. Um, but there definitely is, it's funny you use the word um, in, in FOMO show. I definitely think that like, all these mainly guys who are on the mainly white guys who are on this show, mainly straight white guys who are, who are on the show are using these devices and broadcasting out to a very dedicated audience that they too can go and hunt demons. If they only had this, you know, this, this thing, or this, this, this access point. Um, And so I was talking to a good, a, a good friend of mine about this very topic recently. And, and she was saying, you know, like she knows people who just on a Saturday afternoon, like they're not really even like quote unquote ghost hunters, but they'll go out and just as a part of like a, a spiritual practice, they'll go out and, and talk to, I don't even want to use this word spirits, but whatever, whatever is out there. And so you know, this idea that you need a mediator between you and whatever kind of spiritual encounter that you want to have is obviously a very, very new thing. Um, and I'm very skeptical because it was what was sold to me as as this born-again Christian um, that still came with a list of parameters that you had to obey and peruse and, and um and um navigate and i think that's one of the reasons why in my current show like i'm so interested in light and the quality of light because it's so sublime you know just the just just the nature of it it's obviously scientific and it's accessible to everybody and the way that you can manipulate it it can really leave an impression that everybody has access to everybody can 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 see the sun you know it's it's um and it's and it's awe in in aspiring.
1: I mean, we're in Galveston right now, um somewhat adjacent to like NASA country.
0: Hmm. I actually live right next to NASA.
1: I guess I'm wondering a little bit, since you're so adjacent to NASA, <laughs> do you see a kinship with astronomy or um astronautical endeavors or not really?
0: I I feel a a a longing that is, that is, that is blocked off by my non-innate ability to do math. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so it's, it's, I actually, I, I read a lot of fiction that, that, that revolves around the space and the universe. And uh, I can understand like, you know, the logistics of it, or maybe that's not the right word, but I can understand the the explanations behind like why things do the way that they do. But I wish I had a better understanding to the actual mechanics of how that works. Cause I'm really interested in, in, I think then this goes back to what I have the installation in my show and the ghost hunting devices. I'm interested in like the mechanics of how you reach an unknown Entity or an unknown destination, which I think is not at all dissimilar to art making. You know, it's 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 you you start off in this way of having no visual vocabulary, and as an artist, you have to make that. And so I I, I find the correlations between art and science very very similar. And I'm obviously not the first one to you know think this, but I feel drawn to sites in certain ways, and I don't know whether or not. You know, I don't classify that as like a spiritual thing. I don't. I don't really know what it is. But like, there's that aspect. There's the fact that I live right next to the Johnson Space Center, and there's also that that aspect that I live right next to what's known as the Texas Killing Fields, which is this this decades long mystery of young young women who were mur- uh, murdered between Houston and Galveston along I forty five, and they never uh they never really caught anybody who did it. Uh, they have theories about who did it and they have people who were arrested for other things, but to my knowledge, I don't think that they, they ever caught anybody who is who is related directly to 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 these killings and I'm literally like it down the street from where from one of the main areas of where of where that happened and so, I don't know how much ego plays a part of this. You know, I think if we dig, if we all dug deeply enough, we could find adjacent, weird stuff that is in our path. But this has happened to me my my whole life. i've just I've constantly gone to these areas where there's just an underlying sense of mystery or an underlying sense of uneasiness. Um, and i and I felt that when I before I was in Galveston, I was in the twin cities areas. Uh, or area. Um, and, you know, me and my partner drove down. And as soon as like you drive over the causeway on the, onto the Island for, for, for the first time, there's a little bit of a shift that happens. You know, there's, it's, it may be imperceptible to a, to a few, but you, I don't know whether it's like going over the water. I don't know whether it's like the view. I don't know really what it is, but you can feel, for me personally, I felt like I was going into someplace denser, you know, like it was a little bit more foggy, not physically, but mentally and emotionally. Um, and my whole life, I've always been drawn or lived in or put in those places. Um, and so, all, you know, that's been another foundational thing about my work is, is exploring those sites um, and, and, and figuring out, maybe figuring out why.
1: I wanted to ask you if you think Galveston is haunted, which is a little rote of a question, um, and you're you're welcome to respond to it. But maybe more appropriately, I guess, uh, I I just was wondering what you think about a place having a irrevocable aura or feeling or sense. I think a lot of people can relate to that, regardless of their background or belief system Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, Yeah. I mean, do you think places can be haunted? Do, Do you have a different word for it? What do you think?
0: I don't think I have a different word for it. I think humans are programmed to find things that aren't necessarily there. And I think that they will do whatever it takes to try to figure that out. And I don't think that that's a fault. I think that that's a really kind of wonderful part of human nature that you, that we want to constantly try to figure out what it is that's going around us that we don't understand. Um, And so I bring this up as an example, but when I was in grad school, um, I went back so I grew up in a haunted house, and part of my my MFA thesis was I went back and I invo- I invited a local um, paranormal team to the house to to investigate it and see if there was anything there. One of the things that they found was that for whatever reason my house had weird strong electrical currents uh, running through parts of it, and that that can have a physiological reaction to to the body. Um, so I don't know how many of my experiences growing up were were related to a to that kind of um, you know that kind of unseen reaction um, versus how much it was actually ghosts. Now in the in the footage that the ghost team um, their their names are Bearfort uh, Paranormal. They're really wonderful people. Just to like plug them a little bit, um, but they did find some really compelling evidence of like. These things called EVPs, which is uh, you know that voices appear out of seemingly nowhere. Uh, the kind of devices that they they had they they caught some interesting stuff, um, and that I don't really have an explanation for. And so I think that there is a a duality there. Um, but to go back to the question of whether or not I think Galveston is haunted, I think Galveston's haunted by by many many things. Uh, I think Galveston, you know. Has a long history of uh, tragedy and triumph, and overcoming, and um, and and succumbing to all sorts of stuff. And so I think it's I think it's really impossible for Galveston not to be haunted in some capacity, uh, whether or not that's ghosts, whether or not that's legacy, whether or not that's history. You know, I think it can be any or all or none of those things. Well, maybe not none. In
1: in that regard, I could agree that not given I'm not from Galveston, I haven't been here for a super long time, I'm not an authority on, on the history of this place, I can agree with you that Galveston is certainly enshrouded in in some manner of things. And even if it's something as simple as history or legacy, um, I, I just think that's an interesting concept. I do have to ask... For clarification when you say you grew up in a haunted house uh, are we talking about a, a cornfield hay ride or are we talking about your house was occupied by spirits which one are we talking about
0: i almost wish that my house was a cornfield hay ride um it would have made my life much more interesting but no it was there was just some weird stuff going on um old house It wasn't even old. So like, yeah, we, I grew up very blue, blue collar um, in a townhouse townhouse in in very northern New New Jersey Jersey, up by the New York state State border. Um, And uh, we know that there was a worker who died building it. Uh, And we know that because my stepfather, um, who my mother was marrying at the time, literally drove up to the site while the guy was getting loaded onto an an ambulance with like a cover on and he was like what happened and apparently what happened was that there's a kind of like a i would say eight or ten foot like rock wall uh that overlooks a field uh that has like piping or plumbing or you know something and as the workers were building the house uh the guy was driving what's called a called a bobcat which i guess is like a little tiny uh Bulldozer sort of thing. Um, he backed the bobcat up off the wall, and he fell off it, and and the bobcat crushed him. Um, the same ghost, um, the same paranormal team that I invited uh, to come up, they tried to research who this person was, and they could not find any documentation. And so we were like, you know, was he undocumented? Was he an immigrant? You know, um, but. My dad says no, my, or my, my, my stepfather says that he was a white guy, um, but there's no, there's no record of him ever being, being killed there. So that death was kind of swept under, uh, under, under the rug. Um, in addition to that, like there's Northern New Jersey has like revolutionary war history. It has Native American history, obviously. Um, there's all sorts of like, you know, if you want to go down the ghost route, there's all sorts of stuff that could be haunting that, that property, um none of which are masked people coming at you with chainsaws on on being pulled by a tractor but just for me personally it was it was a lot of just spooky feelings being really scared for no for no reason we had dogs growing up the dogs would react to something um we also lived right next to like what's called um um, Newark watershed land which is basically like the underground aquifers for for the entire state so my my hometown is uh, 80 square miles and most of it can't can't be built on because it's all uh, all protected for for water so right next to our complex is just like miles and miles of just woods and so that <laughs> didn't help the creep factor any either um, and so and so yeah it was just it was it was these unexplained not physical nothing manifested i didn't i never really well that's not true i was going to say i never saw anything i did see some some weird stuff but nothing that was you know like an aha moment that we were haunted. Uh, and it's, and it's funny, you know, we were talking the other night at, at dinner, I'm doing this event here on Galveston about, uh, locals, ghost stories, and you know, whatever they might have to, to tell. And I found that a lot of people are really protective over, over their stories. And I'm trying to figure out why, uh, is it because they don't want to be ridiculed? Is it because they find them really personal and they just don't want to share? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, f- I had assumed obviously wrong, uh, wrongly that people would be really willing to share their, their stories, and they aren't. Um, and I say that because growing up, like me and my family never talked about, all of us had weird stuff happen to us in that house, and none of us talked about it until uh, years and years and years later, whereas my life <laughs> would have made so much more sense had we been like, hey. I saw a weird thing. Did you see this weird thing also? And instead it was all just left up to our imaginations and be like, huh.
1: I have a quote that I pulled from your website mm-hmm. that is uh, attributed to Saul LeWitt mm-hmm. that I thought I could uh, introduce to this discussion.
0: Sure.
1: Quote, conceptual art is not necessarily logical. The logic of a piece or series of pieces is a device that is used at times only to be ruined. Logic may be used to camouflage the real intent of the artist, to lull the viewer into the belief that he understands the work, or to infer a paradoxical situation, such as logic versus illogic. End quote. I just thought um, that's kind of like a theoretical statement. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go into like much of the specifics that we're talking about. Um, But I think that it's just kind of like universally applicable to art making and then even also applicable to sort of like pursuits of um ambiguous knowledge mm-hmm. or or forbidden knowledge mm-hmm. that there is a strange paradoxical relationship between logic and illogic that um neither constitutive parts can really explain mm-hmm. it's just it's just human experience mm-hmm. things don't always add up or make sense and yet time moves on mm-hmm.
0: um totally you know it's it's funny this is a little bit of a tangent on that but uh whenever I hear this this podcast your guitar intro always reminds me of very much of like David Lynch it feels very Lynchian in like I don't, I don't know I just feel like it sounds like a an, an outtake of like a soundtrack to something and I was thinking about that a lot knowing I would be talking to you because while I was here as a resident Um, Twin Peaks the return had just come out and both myself and Eric Schnell and um, Christina Estelle who was my co my cohort here we would have like Monday what was we called it like Monday night twin twin peak watching and so we just we went through that that entire series Um, and so when you bring up like the logical versus the illogical and the fact that like they can exist at once at the same time without any explanation that having that endeavor between like the three of us as in the residency in Galveston during that time has really left a mark on me. Um, And I, and I totally believe that, you know, I think that, I think we're in an era of art making with social media that everybody wants very quick explanations to things. Um, and I started off making very different work than when I went to grad school and what I came out of that with. Um, and part of, my, part of my biggest thing that I learned in grad school was to allow that space to exist. Um, and it's been really interesting within the past 10 years or so to see how much a desire for that space has shrunk due to the commerciality of, you know, the way that the art market is working, um, which obviously has always been there, but is now like, I feel like a, a behemoth uh, compared to even just 10 years ago. And so I definitely want, it's an, it's an inherent desire on my end to build that space up and to let it be what it is. Um, and it's, I think it's really important, not only for my work, but really important to the way that people operate in their lives, allowing for some mystery to still to still be there.
1: And with that, that concludes our discussion this week on the paranormal. Thank you so much, Justin, for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: We'll be back in two weeks with another Art Dirt. And in the meantime, be sure to check our calendar listings for art events and exhibitions across the state and go see some art.
0: Go see some art. Smithers says so too. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.